Hello and welcome to Eccentric Earth, the podcast where I, your host Amy Walker, delve into stories from across history with a guest who has no idea what the topic's going to be. Join me this week is Pete Gaskell. Hello. Hello. Hi, welcome back. It's been too long. We were just saying how, how long it's been since you've been on the show. Yeah, there's 20 odd episodes. I don't know how, well, presumably that's 20 odd weeks. Never mind. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know how that translates to weeks, but it, it's quite simple. He does that. Yeah, yeah, it's not for not want of trying. Yeah, there have been a few times where we've scheduled and then it's kind of fallen apart a bit. Mm, but... I mean, it's just, yeah. It's a shame because I love to revel in ignorance of history. It's brilliant. <laughs> well, I try to find things that make people feel a bit ignorant because it's the stuff we never hear about. So, you know, no one history really should comes be. into this knowing everything, I don't think. I hope someone does at some point just come and say, ah, I know it all, and then you can just undercut them <laughs> for the entire episode. I've, I've had a couple where people have known the topic, but there's some details they didn't, like um, Fatty Arbuckle with, with Dave Bond. Mm. He, he knew a lot of that, but... they. You know, he said there were certain details there he didn't know. And at the point of this recording, the next one that's going up, um, episode 34, my guest on that, she she knew of the incident. But I think a lot of what I told her kind of blew her mind throughout. So she'd, she'd heard about it, but didn't know everything. So I've looked out so far and not having someone know every detail about the topic. <laughs> someone not correcting you of a star of it is, is, is a good thing. Yeah. Really. <laughs> Yeah, someone jumping in. Um, actually, Amy, it was 1934, not 35. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yes. Well, I'm sure I will not know this. So. Hopefully not, because it makes it more interesting if you don't. <laughs> so what it do you was have? like I was saying before we started, I, I had not heard of this one before the research myself, which is odd because this seems like something people would know about because this is the time that the united states almost went to war with north korea over a tree <laughs> oh plenty of potential to branch off and miss one then isn't there <laughs> so shall we shall we get into our story let's find out okay following the conclusion of the korean war in 1953 a demilitarized zone was established between north and south korea in the Armistice Agreement of the 27th July 1953, the Demilitarized Zone was created as each side agreed to move their troops back 2,000 metres from the front lines, creating a buffer zone 2.5 miles wide. Located within the Joint Security Area of the Demilitarized Zone was a bridge known as the Bridge of No Return, which crosses the military demarcation line connecting North and South Korea. So I, just, I, just, I, just, I know that from day another day. That's, that's, that's my extent of knowledge on the subject. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. That's the bridge they do the trade on. Yeah. yeah. They, they did do yeah. that quite a bit up until, I think, the mid-80s. They kind of stopped using it mm. to, to trade people backwards mm. and forwards. Mm. It was near this bridge that an incident would occur in August 1976 that would come close to starting a war between North Korea and the United States. 
Close to the Bridge of No Return, a 30-metre poplar tree blocked the line of sight between a United Nations Command checkpoint, checkpoint number three, and an observation post. Observation post number five. Command post number three, situated near the Bridge of No Return, was the northernmost United Nations Command checkpoint, and only visible from observation post five during the winter months. And space. Presumably, yes, space as well. (laughs) (laughs) During the summer, only the top of the building was visible because of the tree. The United Nations Command decided that the tree was a problem as it prevented a clear line of sight between their installations and affected their ability to do their job. Thus, a decision was made to cut back the tree. On August 18th, 1976, a group of five Korean Service Corps personnel, escorted by a United Nations Command security team consisting of Captain Arthur Boniface, his South Korean Army counterpart Captain Kim, and the platoon leader of the current platoon in the area, First Lieutenant Mark Barrett, along with 11 enlisted personnel, both American and South Korean, went into the joint security area to trim the tree. So there's around 15 men in total. That's quite a lot of people. So how big's a saw? <laughs> you picture one of those giant band saws that they've got to use either side. <laughs> yeah, just so I saw imagine a circular one and they all sort of stand around it, <laughs> sort of holding hands and sawing away in sort of very merry way. As members of the Joint Security Area were permitted only five armed officers and 30 armed enlisted personnel at a time, the two captains did not carry sidearms. The Korean Service Corps personnel carried only the axes they brought with them to prune the tree. Oh, it was a BYOA situation. Yep. (laughs) Some 15 to 20 minutes passed before a North Korean officer, Lieutenant Pak Chul, arrived and close to 15 soldiers arrived with him. Pak Chul had been nicknamed Lieutenant Bulldog by the United Nations Command personnel due to a history of similar confrontations. Pak and his subordinates watched the operation without comment for approximately 15 minutes, until he abruptly told the UN command to cease the trimming, stating that the tree could not be trimmed because Kim Il-sung, the first supreme leader of North Korea, had personally planted it and nourished it and its growth under his supervision. How could he just want so he just wandered into the DMZ and just planted one random tree? Or was it done before that was created? Because that seems a bit odd. I did look at this. I I think it was part of like a a peace ceremony. A peace yeah. treaty. I just derailed you. you. Did. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of these things that you you, you read and go, oh, okay, uh, I don't not gonna need that bit, and then it comes up and it's like, oh. Then you invite me on and it goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't find that bit, but I, I seem to remember reading that it was done as part of a... I don't know if it was because of the end of the Korean War or something before that, but it was part of some sort of ceremonial service, if I remember correctly. Mm. So it, so this is like going back a wave, Emma, it was planted yeah, at pre Yeah, it was pre-war. pre the ah. DMZ. Ah, that makes that makes more sense, because I just have this image of him just casually just wandering out there in the middle <laughs> of the night and just planting a tree and... <laughs> Sneaking across the DMZ with his shovel over his shoulder. Well, you know. Captain Boniface ordered his men to continue chopping the tree down and reportedly turned his back on Lieutenant Pak Chul. After being ignored by Boniface, Lieutenant Pak sent a runner across the Bridge of No Return. Within a few minutes, a North Korean guard truck crossed the bridge and approximately 20 more North Korean guards disembarked, carrying crowbars and clubs. Oh, God. Yep, shit's getting scary. <laughs> it's like Derby Day in all the films. <laughs> Terrible. 
Wayne Kirkbride, one of the soldiers' presence, later said, For a while, it seemed to be just another routine work detail. Then the North Koreans sent for reinforcements, and suddenly there were about 20 soldiers at the scene, making the force 30 strong. Uh-oh. Lieutenant Pack again demanded that the tree trimming stop. When Boniface again turned his back on him a second time, Pack was reported to have removed his watch, carefully wrapped it in a handkerchief, placed it in his pocket, and then shouted, Kill the bastards in Korean. Oh, in Korean. I thought he was just going to say that if I was, if I was his whole speech. Just kill the bastards in Korean. <laughs> <laughs> Scream Korean words at them until they die. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, do, I do sort of have this image of him as a sort of Korean Gene Hunt now. So. <laughs> it's, it's weird that you mention that because the guys jumping off the back of the truck with the crowbars and the bats, it reminded mm. me of that football hooligan episode of Life on Mars. Yes. all got chains and... Oh. Stuff from the back of the back yeah. of the police truck. One of my favourite episodes, <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> Using axes dropped by the tree trimmers, the Korean People's Army forces attacked the two US soldiers, Boniface and Barrett, and wounded all but one of the United Nations Command Guards. It's a bit of an unfair fight, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Pretty one-sided. Mm. Boniface was knocked to the ground by Pack, and then a group of five North Korean soldiers surrounded him and bludgeoned him to death. Oh. Yeah, sorry, things have taken a turn. Barrett jumped over a low wall, which led past a 15-foot deep tree-filled depression just across the road from the tree. The depression was not visible from the road because of the dense grass and small trees. The entire fight lasted for only 20 to 30 seconds before the UN command forces managed to disperse the North Korean guards and place Boniface's body in their truck. Oh, so all this action was just right, condensed about 20 seconds. It's like, yep. quick. There's, there's well, um, sort of sound effects. Yeah. photos taken from the other posts of this happening and it all happened really quick. Wow. Because Barrett jumped into the depression there was no sign of him and the two united nations command guards at outpost number five couldn't see him the un command did however observe the north korean guards along the united nations command emergency egress road exhibiting strange behavior one of the guards took an axe and walked down into a depression for a couple of minutes and then came back up and handed the axe to the other guard who repeated the process this went on for approximately 90 minutes until the UN command outpost at number 5 were informed that Barrett was missing, at which time they informed their superiors about the Korean People's Army activity in the Depression. A search and rescue squad were quickly dispatched and found that Barrett had been attacked with an axe by the North Koreans. Barrett was recovered and transferred to a hospital in Seoul via an aid station at Camp Grease, but died during the journey. Captain Shiran, Boniface's replacement, and a number of other personnel witnessed the attack from outpost number five and recorded the incident with both a black and white camera which ran out of film and a 35mm camera with telephoto lens. So there are actually pictures of this online if you um, type the Korean axe murder incident in to Google, the these pictures will come I'll up. Take, I'll take that as read, Amy. I'm not going to... No, I'm, I'm not I, saying... I, I assure you. I'm <laughs> not saying you should, but... Just typing Korean axe murders on YouTube. Yeah, for, for people <laughs> curious about it, the the mm. actual fight mm. can be mm. can be found. You can document it yourself yeah. from Google Image Search. Mark Luttrell, who was Boniface's driver, did not accompany him that day and said that I always felt that had I been there, I might have prevented the murder. Unfortunately, Luttrell was assigned to another task that day by Boniface. He told me that he had an assignment for me. He was leaving country in two days, had to turn in his field gear, and needed someone to take care of it for him. He said that he would get someone else to guard him for that day. Then he left, and that was the last time I ever saw him. If I had gone into the JSA that day, 
I would have been watching Bulldog like a hawk. I'm told that Captain Boniface had his back to Bulldog when he was killed. That doesn't surprise me. Captain Boniface would turn his back on Bulldog whenever Bulldog began threatening him. Shortly after the attack, the North Korean media began airing reports of the fight. The North Korean version stated, Around 10.45am today, the American imperialist aggressors sent in 14 hoodlums with axes into the Joint Security Area. Hoodlums! So Al Capone, the Birdman <laughs> of Alcatraz, <laughs> 12 others are just randomly sent in. Vito Corleone in. <laughs> 14 hoodlums with axes into the Joint Security Area to cut the trees on their own accord, although such a work should have mutually consented beforehand. Four persons from our side went to the spot to warn them not to continue the work without our consent. Against our persuasion, they attacked our guards en masse and committed a serious provocative act of beating our men, wielding murderous weapons, and depending on the fact that they were outnumbering us. Despite the photographic evidence to the contrary. Fo photos aren't <laughs> real, Pete. <laughs> Fake news. <laughs> Our guard could not but resort to self-defence measures under the circumstances of this reckless provocation. So, yeah, that's a completely unbiased telling of those events, I think. I think it has merit. <laughs> if, if, you're if that was an American yeah. yes, it's got a bit of merit. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we just didn't know their maths, you know. We got four and forty confused and, yeah. Yeah, they they were watching the wrong side. They got the uniforms mixed up and it's like, God, these Americans attacked for no reason. Oh, no, wait, that's us. Shit. It's, easy, it's easily done. North Korea should have been wearing their home kit, not their away kit. Within four hours of the attack, Kim Jong-il, son of the North Korean leader Kim Il-sung, addressed mm. a conference of non-allied nations in Colombo, Sri Lanka, where he presented a prepared document describing the incident as an unprovoked attack on North Korean guards, led by American officers. Is it wrong, but because it was in Colombo, I, I hoped he was wearing a dirty marker and just turned around and showed this. <laughs> just one more thing. Yeah. <laughs> he introduced a resolution asking the members of the conference to condemn the US provocation and called on participants to endorse both the withdrawal of US forces from Korea and the dissolution of the UN command. The resolution was seconded by Cuba and the members of the conference passed it. Lieutenant Colonel Victor S. Vieira, commander of the United States Army Support Group in the area, said in 2007 that the incident did not happen in a vacuum, and that Kim Il-sung and North Korea were looking for a fight. He described the Joint Security Area as a tinderbox with almost daily incidents with the North Korean Army. Vieira described multiple incidents of violence and confrontation between the two sides, including the Joint Security Area's deputy commander being kicked in the chest and groin by North Korean soldiers, nice, attempted kidnappings of South Korean and American soldiers, and groups being held at gunpoint. I like how we started with a crop shot first, as if that was the most, <laughs> the most heinous crime. We have no sense of fair play. Well, there is a nice sense of escalation. It's like, we'll kick them in the balls. If that doesn't work, we'll try and kidnap them. If that doesn't work, we'll just point guns at them. It's like, there's a, definitely a steady progression there. Vieira said that he believed Boniface, who was often sent to intervene in such incidents, was well known to North Koreans and likely targeted deliberately. Mm. Why? A few of these incidents where he was sent in because he was um, Vieira's sort of right-hand man. So he got sent in a lot Attack to go and sort things out. And he had a lot of confrontations with... The guy they nicknamed Bulldog, who mm. was, from the sound of it, trying to cause a lot of shit and <laughs> trying to push things into an escalation. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I, I think looking at some of these reports from soldiers who are in the area at the time in interviews, it sounds like the North Korean side were trying to get some sort of reaction out of the US. Mm. Trying to provoke. Yeah. Standing on the other side of a DMZ going, you can't touch me, can't get mad. Not touching, can't get mad. Pretty much, yeah. Basically. And then when it doesn't work, <laughs> you axe murder a couple of officers. How you know, sometimes that happens. Yeah. When when the indirect approach doesn't work... Mm. Blunt force trauma for the win. Divvy me. Because the CIA considered the attack to be pre-planned by the North Korean government, a variety of responses were evaluated. Readiness levels for American forces in South Korea were increased to DEFCON 3 early that morning. What does is, what is DEFCON... Sorry, what does DEFCON mean? I've always heard, like, DEFCON 5... I mean, it's just like shit's going down. Is it, uh, I don't know the progression levels of DEFCON. It just seems like it's either a normal day or apocalypse. I don't, I don't know about the delineations between them. Um, DEFCON is... Um, I'm not sure who developed it, but it's like the military readiness level in the US. So it's sort of yellow alert, red alert from Star Trek sort of thing. But... Yeah, there's um, five levels, mm. which I think starts at one and then goes up at five. Mm. No, sorry. Just looking at it here, it's the other oh, way around. Defcon Five is oh. the least severe, and really? one is most severe. Ah, did not know that. So this is a middle of a road incident then, at three. Yeah. Um, so here's the readiness level. So, so a bit nasty. Defcon Five is normal readiness. Um, four is above normal readiness. If it's normal readiness, then why call it Defcon Five? Can you not just call it normal? I think that just is the standard. I think it's just you know starting point. <laughs> um, but three, which is what they're on here is air force ready to mobilize in 15 minutes so that's things are heating up um mm. two is armed forces ready to deploy and engage in less than six hours and number one uh which is maximum readiness is the description for that is nuclear war is imminent yeah Whoa. so defcon one bad if you hear defcon one panic yeah so I'm guessing that was that's only been what Cuban Missile Crisis and that's it. No, Cuban Missile Crisis was DefCon Two. Really? So it's never been a one. I don't think so. Because that was the closest we've been to sort of apocalypse now. <laughs> Let's just see if DefCon One has ever been used. DefCon Two was achieved twice, but DefCon One hasn't happened so far. Ah, so I'm guessing it's DefCon Two then that has been. Yeah. Yeah. Cuban Missile Crisis and AN over. Uh, I think they said the other one was Gulf War. During the Gulf War. Um, Desert Storm? Mm. Yeah, during the opening phase of Operation oh, yeah. Desert Storm. So it looks like we've never been wow. up to one. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of got about that, Amy. I don't know about you. <laughs> so three is pretty high. Pretty um, wow, just looking at this, it, again, it looks like there's only been three incidents of DEFCON 3. Mm. The Yom this Kippur is War in 1973 right. um this and the september 11th attacks wow mm. this is big stuff. yeah this is the this is what shocked me about this like this incident is quite <laughs> it big. escalated quickly yeah <laughs> yeah really big wow so yes they've moved up to defcon 3 rockets and artillery attacks in the area were considered but discounted because president pak chung hee did not want military action taken that's the president of south korea Right. In response to what the American media were referring to as the axe murder incident, the United Nations command determined that instead of trimming the branches that obscured the visibility, they would cut down the tree with the aid of overwhelming force. <laughs> overwhelming force? Yep. That sounds a bit like bringing a gun to a knife fight. Oh, you, you wait <laughs> to find out to what this overwhelming force is. <laughs> 
The parameters of the operation were decided in the White House, where President Gerald Ford had held crisis talks. About a yes. tree. <laughs> President-level crisis talks in the White House about a tree. Wow. Ford and his advisors were concerned about making a show of strength to frighten North Korea, but without causing further escalation. They came up with Operation Paul Bunyan, named after the mythical lumberjack from US history. Mm. It was conceived as a US-South Korean show of force, but was also carefully managed to prevent further escalation. It was planned over two days by General Richard G. Stilwell and his staff at the United Nations Command Headquarters in Seoul. During the time, we just knew we had to do something. If you can remember the politics of the armistice back in 76, we were riding the height of the Cold War. We didn't just want the North Koreans to do something against the UN forces without a response, Kirkbride said. When we were trying to figure out should we do something more or something less, the correct response was, let's cut down the damn tree that's caused the incident. Right. But how? Ah. Well, that bit is coming up in a second. Oh. The, uh, the most elaborate tree-cutting team ever devised. <laughs> But before they could do that, on the 20th of August, the bodies of Captain Boniface and Lieutenant Barrett were taken to Kimpo Airport for return to the United States. At the airport, a ceremony was held during which Boniface was promoted posthumously to Major, and he and Barrett were awarded Purple Hearts and Joint Service Commendation Medals. Mm. The next day, Operation Paul Bunyan began at 0700. A convoy of 23 American and South Korean vehicles named Task Force Vieira, after Lieutenant Colonel Vieira, drove into the Joint Security Area without any warning to the North Koreans. The vehicles carried two eight-man teams of military engineers equipped with chainsaws to cut down the tree. Okay. The teams were accompanied by two 30-man security platoons from the Joint Security Force who were armed with (laughs) pistols and axe handles. Just handles. Yeah, they've taken not the heads off, axes, so it's just, just big clubs. Just sticks, yeah. basically. <laughs> the first platoon secured the northern entrance to the joint security area via the bridge of no return, whilst the second platoon secured the southern edge of the area. Concurrently, a team from B Company, commanded by Captain Walter Seafried, had activated the detonation system for the charges on Freedom Bridge and had the 165mm main guns of the M728 combat engineer vehicle aimed mid-span to ensure that the bridge would fall should the order be given for its destruction. B Company were also building M4 T6 rafts in the Imjian River should the situation require emergency evacuation by that route. Emergency raftage. Yep. In addition, a 64-man task force of the South Korean Special Forces accompanied them armed with clubs and trained in Taekwondo. Were they trained in Taekwondo previous to this, or were they trained in Taekwondo in the course of the two days of the planning phase? <laughs> was it like, quick, get to your nearest gym and learn it? I would like to think that they were already specially trained, but I like the idea of a two-day training montage. <laughs> Just have everyone running up and down steps. <laughs> so this is now about 180 people involved in this so far. So far, and we're not done. <laughs> Once they parked their trucks near the Bridge of No Return, they started throwing out sandbags that lined the truck bottom and handing out M16 rifles and M79 grenade launchers that were concealed below. So we said Taekwondo with grenades. Yep. That sounds pretty <laughs> cool, as we said. <laughs> Several of the commandos also had M18 Claymore mines strapped to their chests with the firing mechanism in their hand and were shouting at the North Koreans not to cross the bridge. So they've also strapped bombs to their chests now. Right. 
I I take their word for this. When they say don't cross the bridge, I would accept this. Yeah. <laughs> a US infantry company in 20 utility helicopters and seven Cobra attack helicopters circled behind them. And this is how many more people? <laughs> a lot. Right, so why helicopters? So yeah. Behind wow. these helicopters, B fifty two Stratofortresses bomber jets came from Guam, escorted by US F four Phantom II jet interceptors and South Korean F five and F eighty six fighter jets. Wow. At Tegu Air Base, F one eleven bombers were stationed and F four Phantoms were also deployed. The aircraft carrier USS Midway Task Force had also been moved to a station just offshore. Yeah, still not done. <laughs> the President Ford come out as well to watch. <laughs> At this point, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> Near the edges of the DMC, many more heavily armed US and South Korean infantry, artillery, including the 2nd Battalion, 71st Air Defense Regiment, armed with improvised Hawk missiles and armor, were waiting to back up the special operations team. Mm. As improvised hawk missiles aren't missiles strapped to hawks, are they? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish it was now. <laughs> that is quite improvised. <laughs> Bases near the DMZ were prepared for demolition in case of military response. So they're also ready to blow up their own bases. Wow. <laughs> the defence condition, DEFCON, was elevated on order of General Stillwell. So this is when it reaches to... Oh, that's what DEFCON stands for. Yeah. DEFCON stands for defence condition. Right? There we go. Mm. In addition, 12,000 additional troops were ordered to Korea, <laughs> including 1,800 Marines from Okinawa. <laughs> wow. During the operation, nuclear-capable strategic bombers circled over the JSA. According to one intelligence analyst monitoring the North Korean tactical radio net, the accumulation of force blew their minds. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of know how he felt. <laughs> Altogether, Task Force Vieira consisted of 813 men. Almost all of the men of the United States Army Support Group, of which the Joint Security Force was a part, a South Korean reconnaissance company, a South Korean Special Forces company which had infiltrated the river area by the bridge the night before, and members of a reinforced composite rifle company from the 9th Infantry Regiment. In addition to this force, every United Nations command force in the rest of South Korea was on battle alert, all to cut down a tree. <laughs> <laughs> now, my next question is, do the people who are actually armed with the saws, etc., or axes for cutting down the tree, know what they were doing? Because it seems like they may have been putting... The hyper-armed hyper cart before the horse, in that case. <laughs> this this is one of two incidents that got to DEFCON 2. They, they've got nuclear-capable aircraft ready. <laughs> a whole army there. It came so close to starting a war, and I've never heard of this. And it's all about a tree. This is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. It's just... It's, it's incredible, but also weirdly believable. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't want to make a comment about American military policy, but, you know, <laughs> it is, it, it, it doesn't surprise me too much that overwhelming force suddenly emerges. But I have to know, did North Korea respond at all to this? They just go, yeah, never mind. Well, um, the engineers left their vehicles once the convoy arrived and immediately started cutting down the tree while standing on the roof of their truck while the second platoon truck was positioned to block the bridge of no return. 
Again, there are pictures of this from the uh, observation post, so you can actually uh, see yes. them cutting the tree down with their chainsaws. Yes. The remainder of the task force dispersed to their assigned areas around the tree and assumed the role of guarding the engineers. North Korea quickly responded with, now bear in mind, even excluding the fighter jets, helicopters and all that, they've got about 800 men. North mm -hmm. Korea responded with around 150 to 200 troops armed with machine guns and assault rifles. So they're a bit outnumbered now. Just a bit, just a yeah, bit. The tables have definitely def flipped. <laughs> I was going to say, and, and most definitely outnumbered, judging by the North Korean press the day after. <laughs> the North Korean troops arrived in buses, but did not leave them watching the events instead. So they're just watching from buses. <laughs> they just bought a day pass, so they couldn't actually get off a bus. They just had to stand there and watch. <laughs> See, now, I like this bit here because... At the moment, the only thing visible for the North Koreans is is the troops on the ground. But upon seeing their arrival, Lieutenant Colonel Vieira relayed a radio communication, whereupon the helicopters and Air Force jets became visible over the horizon. <laughs> so he timed it to make an entrance. Wow. <laughs> it's just all right. And now. Yep. This image of more that would be a really cool image in a film. And by the way, a film has to be made of this. Yeah, I'm surprised it hasn't. <laughs> Because this story is amazingly crazy. That shot would win a Best Cinematography Oscar. <laughs> I'm picturing it in my head right now. In response, the North Koreans quickly got out of their buses and began setting up two-man machine gun positions where they watched in silence as the tree was felled in 42 minutes. Right. Is that quick for a tree of this size? Um, well, they did estimate that it would take 45 minutes, so they beat their time. They did well. They did well. <laughs> Also removed were two road barriers installed by the North Koreans, while the South Korean troops also vandalised two North Korean guard posts. Vandalised? <laughs> I mean, just smashed them up a bit and graffitied South Korea was here on it. Well, while you have the entire United States military backing you up, go Do for it. Do what the hell you yeah. are. <laughs> get, yourself, get yourself an ASBO, go for it. It's like the North Koreans are probably thinking, okay, we turned up in our buses and the Air Force arrived. What are they going to do next if we try and stop them smashing at the command post? It's just just let them do it, you know? It's like, <laughs> what would they radio in next? It's like, nah, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> the tree stump, which stood around 6 metres or 20 foot, foot tall, was deliberately left standing as a message. Five minutes... Wouldn't it... I was just going to... Sorry, Amy, I was going to say, wouldn't it still sort of obscure the view, which is kind of why we needed to cut the tree down in the first place? No, it was um, more in the summer, when oh, the tree right. was oh, actually we, yeah, in bloom and leaf. Yeah. Yeah, so they can leave the stump and it won't obscure the view and it'll just piss off North Korea a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Five minutes into the operation, the United Nations Command notified their North Korean counterparts at the Joint Security Area that United Nations Work Party had entered the Joint Security Area in order to peacefully finish the work left unfinished on August 18th. And say, telling them that a work party had entered is a bit of an understatement. An army of 800 yeah. people. This is, this is <laughs> quite a work party. Yeah. <laughs> Luttrell, Boniface's driver, participated in the Operation Paul Bunyan as a radio operator. I was probably the only person who volunteered. Everyone else was ordered. I had sent a message to UNCJSA Command Lieutenant Colonel Riera that said I wanted to be at the tree site when it came down. I wanted to do something to avenge Captain Boniface's death, and I was prepared to do so much more. I was very proud to be part of such a military action because the United States conducted themselves 
in such an exemplary manner. By, by turning up en masse yeah. to basically <laughs> cut the tree down. That's exemplary behaviour. It's not It's not at all easy to do that when you've got thousands upon thousands <laughs> of forces. <laughs> Although the operation was carried out peacefully, there was concern that it would spark a wider conflict. The incident led to increased tensions along the Korean demilitarised zone, no shit, but did not develop mm. into a full-scale war. Some shots were fired at a US helicopter, which, carrying Major General Morris Brady, circled Panmunjom later that day, but no one was injured. Mm. United Nations Command had demanded that the North Koreans punish those involved and make adequate reparations to the families of those killed and injured. Later on the day of Operation Paul Bunyan, they received a message from Kim Il-sung expressing regret at the incident. Mm. The message was relayed by the senior members of the North Korean MAC team, Major General Han Ju Kyuon, to senior UNC MAC members Rear Admiral Mark Frudden. God, these names do my tree in. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 oh, I, I didn't know oh, oh, that oh. was not intentional. <laughs> God, every episode oh, I have to cock up some pronunciation every fucking episode. <laughs> it's easily done. It's easily done. Apparently I mispronounce words all the time. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, but at least you don't like pick stories set in countries like Korea where it's like I'm I'm I can barely manage English. I'll be fine with North Korean names. <laughs> It's confident, Amy, okay? Just say it confidently. Even if it's totally wrong, you say it confidently, people will forgive you. That, I hope that's true. <laughs> the message stated, It was a good thing that no big incident occurred at Panmunjom for a long period. However, it is regretful that an incident occurred at the joint security area. An effort must be made so that such incidents may not reoccur in the future. For this purpose, both sides should make efforts. We urge your side to prevent the provocation. Our side will never provoke first, but take self-defense measures only when provocation occurs. This is our consistent stand. So an apology mm. that didn't admit to anything or apologize to anything. No. It just it just basically said if we if we want if we feel threatened we will attack yeah. regardless. Which that <laughs> sounds kind very of a North standard Korean. Standard position. Yeah. While not going far enough to satisfy a previously discussed acceptable northern response, the US administration decided to emphasise this as a step in the right direction, as it was the first time since the Korean War armistice in 1953 that the North had accepted responsibility for violence along the DMZ. So it was actually a step forward compared to previous yeah. Yeah. Instance. It's like, you know, they're like, they accepted responsibility. We did for, kick a few people's heads in. Yeah, people dying. Although they said we didn't start it, they did admit people being killed because of them. Mm. So it's like, okay, we'll take our meagre victories. That'll do. You know, they admitted to that part. So it's a step forward. Yeah. An extremely hard fought step forward with yeah. an army, but still. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> the Joint Security Area's advanced camp, Camp Kitty Hawk was later renamed Camp Boniface in honour of the slain company commander. Mm. The Barrett Readiness Facility, located inside the Joint Security Area and housing the battalion's North Mission Platoon, was named for the slain Barrett. The site of the tree stump, which was cut down in 1987, became the location of a stone monument with a brass plaque inscribed in memory of both men. So the tree's, mm. tree's gone now. The tree's gone now. Yeah, so it... It lasted for about 10 years, though. Ah. What would be hilarious if the monument is actually taller than the tree ever was. <laughs> <laughs> the United Nations Command has held commemorative ceremonies at the monument on anniversaries. Mm. 
the nearby UNC checkpoint, checkpoint number three, situated near the Bridge of No Return, was no longer used after the mid-1980s when concrete-filled bollards were placed in the road to make vehicle passage impossible. That's a bit harsh, because an entire group of people in an outpost... And they, they, their jobs were replaced by bollards. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it doesn't make you feel good about your job thing. where a bit of concrete can do it just as well as you, maybe better. <laughs> the incident also prompted the separation of personnel from two sides within the joint security area as a way of avoiding further incidents. General William J. J. Levzy who was the commanding general of the 8th United States Army in South Korea from 1984 to 1987, publicly carried a swagger stick that was carved from wood collected at the Korean demilitarized zone axe murder incident's poplar tree. I'm sorry, you can't just throw away the term swagger stick, Amy. A swagger stick? Yeah. <laughs> what is a swagger stick? You ever seen, like, um, the old military pictures where the officers had, like, the little... Oh, little stick tucks under their arm. Yeah, is that what yeah, it that's, is? Yeah, it's one of them. Ah, it's got a name for it. Ah, yeah. like a baton. Yeah, it's like, like a fancy baton. Bat. But it, ah, you know... as a swagger stick. As a way of sticking their fingers up to North Korea a bit more. So, yeah, like... this is made from this tree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, a nice little dig, I think. <laughs> and the stick was ceremoniously passed on to General Lewis Mentory when Livesey retired from his command. So it it's, as far as I'm aware, still there. You know, it's, it's knocking around still. Passed down through generations. <laughs> <laughs> an, axe, an axe handle supposedly used in the incident are currently on display in the North Korean Peace Museum. Ironically. Yeah. <laughs> A museum for peace. Here's an axe murder weapon. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's Operation Paul Bunyan and an almost another Korean War, all because of a goddamn tree. Just found out that um, apparently, Amy, I don't know if you knew this, but one of the South Korean soldiers who took part in it is now the president of South Korea. Yes. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. Yeah, that's impressive, isn't it? Mm. Oh. Although with those numbers, quite a few South Koreans took yeah, part. Yeah, I think, I think that, that's, that's, yeah, for, for gentlemen of a certain age, I think it's, it's quite a good bet that they might have been involved somewhere <laughs> on the line. But there we go. That's interesting. Yeah, that was mental. Yes. And <laughs> that's, that's spectacular. I, I can't believe that isn't better known. I think, would you want to be known about this? I mean, obviously North Korea would, would completely ignore it because they lost, so it didn't happen, apart from the part where the axe goes into the museum. But other than that, would the Americans really be that proud of it? I, I don't know if they're necessarily proud of it, but it's like, look at the, the Cuban Missile Crisis the, the other time <laughs> we were at DEFCON mm. 2 and it ne nearly went to war. It's like, even if people don't know the, the intricacies of that, most people have heard of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mm. And no one knows if... This. Yeah, it's this yeah. one of the. It's almost like the exact opposite. It's especially it's with being swept under the tape. The, the, the big shows of forces and stuff. It's like very mm -hmm. similar on paper to the two sides mm. coming up against each other and trying to get each other to back down by the shows of forces. And but yeah, this mm. one just doesn't seem to be that well known. Yeah, there's, there's something about it springing from tiny acorns. I could have said in there, <laughs> but I didn't, did I? So. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, it's an interesting one. I don't know. I think maybe 
Uh, my, my guess as to why it's not well known would be that uh, you know, the Americans are a bit embarrassed that they had to go with such ridiculous force mm. just to cut the. It's it's a bit like turning up with all your mates just just to push over the the, the spotty kid in the corner of the playground, isn't it? <laughs> I say this as a former spotty kid in the corner of the playground. It's not nice, um, but but. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like something Americans would enjoy, doesn't it? Sort of an America fuck yeah moment. As, as particularly that image you, you put in my head there of a helicopter and plane rising up on the um, horizon. I, I do so, love yeah. that image of all these ground <laughs> forces. Then he gets on the radio and suddenly the air support comes over the over the horizon, bombing in. Not not bombing in, but... Yeah. Not bombing in. <laughs> Very much not bombing in. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and the fact that they had an aircraft carrier off the coast ready to go and nuclear capable jets it's like oh my god how they, they turned around and said you know we wanted to show a force that wouldn't escalate it it's like if that's their show of force that, that doesn't is... escalate what the hell would escalate like how much more can you bring they got bloody lucky there because really I thought that would have escalated it. yeah it'd be like you know, have been on the blower to china or to russia and go eh, eh, we kind of need some help guys yeah it's like North Korea brought in a couple hundred as like their standard ready mm. to go guys. It's like you'd think again a few hundred, like just a couple of trucks of soldiers armed with it's... guns to protect the people cutting the tree would be a show of force mm. that's standard enough. Let alone the rest of it. But it reminds me of um, actually John McVie and War itself because at one point the UN had pushed North Korea quite far back in fact very far back mm. to a border with china and we got a bit excitable yeah uh, i think it was general MacArthur. i think got a bit excitable and like, let's push on into china and we got to a chinese border and the border force as poultry chinese border force of a hundred thousand men <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 that was enough to cause the un to turn tail and run all the way back to presumably where the dmz was because the chinese border force just poured over the border and it's like this is bigger than our entire army yeah. Shit. <laughs> if you get into the point where it's like, oh, next stop China, it's like, nah, maybe don't. Let's just even they're, be. They're, eh? They've got a bigger, bigger army than you're going to have. No matter how big you think just yours is, casually they hanging could get out. more. Yeah. You know? <laughs> just casually hanging out on the border is more than your entire landing force. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It really is. It's very, well, a very typically used story, Amy, if you don't mind me saying. It's a very overworked part of history, but it's fascinating. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, that's that's the aim of the show, to try and find stuff that yeah. people don't know about. And I thought, it's yes, there's some, some tragedy in there. You know, a, a couple of men mm. lost their lives in horrific ways. But we were honoured. We were honoured afterwards. Yeah, and there there is stuff in this story that, you know, we, we laughed at because it is over the top and bordering on ridiculous where if if you wrote that in a piece of fiction, people would go, that's a bit too much. But because it's the real world, you, yeah, it, it's just, mm -hmm. it becomes almost comical. And I think it's yeah. one of those things that, like most of these topics, I think people should know about this because I, I, I was amazed reading this story and thought mm -hmm. this, this is so unusual that this almost happened. And, you know, we, it came that close to war it's yeah. like it, yeah should be should be known definitely definitely and I, and I hope people have listened to this and and um and pass it on to others as well because it's, it's it's a fascinating uh, sort of a because uh, I, I i'm always intrigued at this sort of how close we could have come in mm. missile crisis is that you know the 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 clock the doomsday clock was the closest it's ever been wasn't it to to uh to midnight so so that's always fascinated me, and even though this is on a bit of a small scale, 
from one side of it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's still, it's still like how close it could have been. I mean, all it needed was one itchy trigger finger and yeah. who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Or if yes. that, that show of force hadn't been mm. enough to make the North crew back down <laughs> and they'd have, you know, if they'd have chosen to escalate back, you know, mm. I think it, it, it could have very easily have tipped the other way. I think it's, it's dumb luck more than anything else that it actually didn't go to war. I'm glad it's not a sort of a standard policy, though. So, you know, someone's causing trouble, let's just bring everything we've got. Yeah. Because it worked last time. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think that's a sustainable strategy. No, I think it's a trick you can probably pull once, maybe twice. Mm. Hopefully it'll never happen again. Yeah, let's hope not. Although it was good that it happened for one time because we got a decent episode of eccentric <laughs> airfight of it. So there we go. <laughs> yes. Well, if... The listeners like this and and like listening to you. Where can they find you online? Because you you have your own podcast as well, don't you? Indeed, I do. Well, it's a sort of an, it's a bit of a network of podcasts actually. I'll be doing a, a few more. Um, the main one is Smogger Sport with its offshoot being Three Wise Men. Um, and you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on uh, Google Play. You can find us on Stitcher. Um, you can find us uh, on the if you just type in Google and Smogasport, S-M-O-R-G-A-S-P-O-R-E-D. Uh, and we basically cover the wacky, the weird, the wonderful news and bizarre facts and craziness from the world at its weirdest. Plus we play silly games and I basically make people do forfeits for my own amusement uh, you can if you, if you like us you can obviously feel free to rate review subscribe and all that jazz and you can follow us on twitter at smogsboardpod instagram at smogsboardpod and you can email me at smogsboardpod at gmail.com as well and i hope you do and amy herself has guested a number of times haven't you? yeah yeah it's a it's a good fun show because you never know what you're gonna get it's it's got that now. level of unpredictability and Anything can happen. Eccentricity, yeah. As a guest, it is a little terrifying sometimes because you don't know what Pete's going to get you to do, what the forfeits are going to be. And every time I get asked on, there is that little voice in my head that goes, oh, don't do it. It's, Why? It's something, something bad could happen. You know, I think that sense of terror is good. <laughs> yeah, it's healthy. It's healthy. Trust, trust me, as scary as it is for you as a guest, it's quite scary as a host as well. Although, yeah. <laughs> I do get the pleasure of watching people doing stupid stuff for my entertainment. So. <laughs> but no, it's 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 been going for three years now, and it's and it's it's going quite well. So awesome. thank you for for your support, Amy. No, anytime. And if people enjoyed this episode, you can find Eccentric Earth online as well. We have a Twitter, which is at eccentric underscore earth. Our Facebook is www.facebook.com forward slash eccentric earth. And we're on Instagram. We post up interesting facts and information about things in history, info on upcoming shows, and pictures of our mascot, Gohan the History Bunny. So even if you don't like history, go go and follow us for pictures of cute rabbits, because why not? Why not indeed? <laughs> and you started, I was just going to say, I mean, you started doing mini episodes as well, haven't Yes, you? Um, today, as of the recording, uh, not the release, um, we posted our first mini-sode um, about Stubby, the little dog that went off to war. Um, we're going we're gonna to try and keep on top of those and get those out once a week, probably on a Thursday, so it's, it sort of breaks up the weight between the main episodes. It's just going to be little 
little subjects that aren't quite long enough for a full episode but are still quite fun so Ooh. keep your eye out for them because whilst at the minute it's me on my own might get a few guests in for them as well yeah and you can find us on all major podcast providers and youtube so subscribe so you don't miss any and please leave us a review and rating five stars i, I i'm allowed to keep that in because it's not me trying to get them to do that <laughs> exactly exactly no one ever gives three or four amy i don't know if you noticed that everyone only gives one or five <laughs> yeah it's one extreme <laughs> or the other yeah <laughs> like like the american military response it's one extreme exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh, well thank you for for coming on Peter. it's been wonderful having you on again i'm gonna have to try and make it so it's not so many weeks between recordings with you again though well, that's fine i mean to be fair i mean it's not as if you've been struggling for, for recordings you've got plenty of awesome guests on yeah so it's uh, a mean, nice staple of guests so it's, it's yeah. nice to always, have you in always that, come back yeah well, thank you very much. I, I always enjoy coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye. Ciao.